ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sex Sales Podcast, the podcast where a comedian talks to a relationship therapist. We have subscriptions available. Go to neilcolhatka.com slash podcasts and all the money from the subscriptions goes straight to charity. You also get to ask us a question, send us in a topic or a shout out based on your subscription level. So go to neilcolhatka.com slash podcasts for that. This podcast is also sponsored by Crush Organics CBD. Crush Organics have a huge range of CBD oil products. They've got the day oil, the night oil, the platinum oil, the diamond oil, based on how much CBD oil and its concentration level you're looking for. Uh, it will significantly improve any stress, any anxiety, any sleeping issues you may be having. They also have bath bombs, pain creams, gummies. They have CBD oil for your Dog pets. Treats. They've got yes. everything, everything. So head to crushorganics.com. That's crush with a K. And use the code Neil, and you'll get forty percent off. Forty percent—that's nearly fifty percent. That's half. So, go and do that. Eliza, how are <laughs> you nearly. doing? How are you feeling? Good. Yeah, good. I was saying to Neil before that my family and Adrian's family are all getting on to Crush Organics as well and using their CBD oil, like my like parents. And I would never recommend anything to my parents <laughs> unless I thought it was really like, you know, pure and legit. So I've heard and been hearing amazing things, even for people just messaging me from the podcast saying that they love it and it's like the best and they've got such good sleep and so relaxed. And anyway, it seems, seems really good. It is. Happy days. And what I one think, are you taking? Uh, I take the uh, the platinum. But do, have you heard of these oh, new laws yeah. that all the beauty influencers were talking about? Now, look, they come into effect after June, so we're okay. But apparently, I got to look into it properly. If if we're talking about a health product, we can't say personal. Like we can't say I used it. So we got to say, well, really? you know, according to like, uh, it will help. Like I, I don't know what the exact law is, but it's something stupid. To be fair, I, I, I How think... How do you know these things? Do you have to research them for your job or do people yeah. inform you? Like, <laughs> No, I just saw a story from That's this like crazy. makeup girl I follow and then I That's looked into girl. it and I thought, oh, hang on a minute. I don't know if this... I have to look yeah. into all of that. So uh, look, uh, if we're no longer talking about our personal experience with any of the sponsors we have on this podcast, that's not because... We don't use oh, it, wink, wink. It's because yeah. of those, uh, this, all this bloody red tape and and bureaucracy, so weird. ruining the free market. People want to like, <laughs> like, buy stuff from people that they either one trust that they like that you know they trust their value or that's so weird. I don't get that. But is it just C like CBD or is it just any promoted? Let me add. Let me have a look. Uh, new TGA rules. See, influencers. I, <laughs> I'm owning that 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 title now. I'm an influencer. <laughs> new TGA rules. See, influencers banned from health product promotions. Online influencers may be subject to regulations. Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, okay, hang on. If they mention any product claiming to remove toxins, relieve pain. No, 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 no. Paid banning online personalities. Well, we have claimed it relieves pain. <laughs> well, it does. All right, hang on. <laughs> yeah, literally. Okay, so. Yeah. My brother uses it for apply the products recovery. or services they promote are rarely disclosed. Have little basis. Okay. I think this is all in response to all the COVID uh medicinal yeah. claims so i think we're also, okay but i'll look into that in in the mum community it is so rife where people will be like uh if if your child has um the sniffle your child has gotten you know severe flu symptoms lavender lavender oil under the chin and you know that and i've mm. actually been advocate for natural um medicinal benefits but i think it's really really dangerous how much mum community in uh in particular um tries to steer people away from anything like even just a health check to see it's not something 
significant. So I can kind of see like that that makes sense. I guess it prevents harm yeah. and, and risk. Um, a lot of these, a lot of every law and so many uh, regulations, are, uh, they're fair. But uh, I feel like so many, particularly in the realm of like consumer goods and products are just to help like really stupid people. You know, every comedian yeah. has that joke about on um, a detergent, it says, do not swallow. It's like, what kind of fuckwit swallows the detergent? Okay, do we really need a law saying every company has to put that on their label? Or is it just <laughs> that some people are really dumb and we don't need to, uh, you know, alter everything we do as individuals or as businesses to cater to just the utter stupidity of the 0.001%. But... Do you know what... <laughs> <laughs> do you know what, though? I think I spoke about this before, but it is something so fucking stupid once where I... Uh, I, you know how I have a lot of crystals in my house because of, you know, the yeah. aesthetic of it. And one day I wasn't feeling too well, so I took my giant malachite crystal into the bath with me and I rested it on my stomach for like an hour. And anyway, afterwards, and I got out, I was like all of a sudden experiencing the worst like cramps of my life. I was so sick. I was sweating. And it, this happened like half an hour, like almost actually sooner, like immediately afterwards. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? So I start like Googling it. And then um, turns out when you put malachite into water it's an like oh, extreme toxin that's right um, i think you you told me yeah yeah and you can't you shouldn't even run it over a t under a tap in your hand let alone have a fucking bath with it <laughs> for an hour so i had to call the poison hotline on myself and i was trying to explain it she's like what why did you take it into the bath why were you resting and i was like look <laughs> So my sacral chakra, uh, no. Okay. <laughs> but All right. so, yeah, it was that was my dumb person moment. For, like, <laughs> look, we've all careful. we've all done something a bit stupid, but there are obvious. there are certain lines that I just can't fathom people would cross. But look, anything we ever spruik or advertise, I feel like it's uh, implied, but always uh, look into it and take the recommended dosage. And if you're new to it, just yeah. just. Uh, Take a little bit first. This is just basic common sense. I, I I don't feel like we should be obliged to say that, but at the same time, there are some uh, there are some stupid people out there. They wouldn't be listening to this podcast though. So, uh, in future, if we if we're not sort of talking about the uh, the benefits and the and, and our personal experiences with any of the uh, uh, you know health products that we may. Uh, advertise here that's because of the laws and it's not because it doesn't work and and we almost certainly do use it and it does work but anyway that's probably crossing the line with this law anyway so comes in in june anyway so anyway weird way to start but i on this podcast want to talk about emotional association so what i mean by that is there's a common there's a common concept in self-help and and just in habit forming relationships whatever it may be our rational brain is not can can often discern what an appropriate action in any given situation is but what makes it really difficult to undertake said action especially repetitively is whatever emotions we may be associating with it so anything take something like reading every day i've been trying to do that now when i was younger uh a lot of academic pursuits and and in including reading i associated with stress because there was a lot of pressure and i uh felt like certain uh forms of kinship were actually dependent on my performance in certain areas of academia and as a result i i realized a couple of years ago hey every time i'm sitting down to organize myself or to study i'm not in a good mood i feel agitated i feel the stress just automatically occurs and now this is a bit of self-diagnosis which is what we argued against in the last podcast but i can't help but feel because for for for, for so long in my adolescence and childhood that action was associated with stress there's just an initial there's just a natural response yeah. that my body enters a state of stress as soon as a cue occurs without actually with without it actually uh creating stress so 
I sit down in a certain position, I open a certain book and I get my highlighter out, I immediately think, why am I, why am I feeling a little bit stressed? And I, wow. and I do, yeah. I, I think that was because for so long in my early adolescence, uh, I associated that emotion with that activity. Now, mm. similarly with uh, something like working out, uh, I didn't like that when I started. I hated it. I resented it, in fact. And as a result, I found myself stressed as soon as I'd walk into a gym or even just uh, yeah. open, a, a, you know, open a video which uh, uh, involved an online workout. But over the course of a couple of years, I started to really enjoy, well, first the, the consequences of working out, the after effect. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. So gradually I started to associate the action itself with accomplishment and with health and with, mm. uh, well, I'm assuming uh, serotonin, having mm. achieved something, right? And now when I, uh, even when I walk into a gym, even when I just think about uh, any sort of physical activity, I don't have that same feeling. I don't. I don't feel agitated and, and perturbed by just the idea or the thought or the initial action of uh, getting mm -hmm. into something like that. And I just couldn't help but extrapolate, extrapolate this concept and think about it on a much broader scale. Uh, I'm thinking about it and uh, based on some of my individual habits. But well, first I couldn't help but think about it in in the context of a relationship. And I saw a video a couple of months ago. Now it was it was a comedy video, so by all means, I'm not using this as any sort of rigorous evidence here. But a man was uh, walking up to his wife while she was doing the dishes, puts his hand around her waist, and she immediately jolts and yes. says, "No, no, no." I'm not and then move. it was a it was yeah. a, it was sort of a comedic yeah. representation of how sex can definitely become a chore in a long-term yeah. marriage. And a lot of the comments from men were saying, well, if she's not giving it to him, he's going to find it somewhere else. A lot of the comments from women were saying, well, why doesn't he take into account what she's been through that day? And I couldn't help but feel, how has this emotion been associated with that action? I think what's occurred is during the honeymoon period, basically every time the pair went to touch each other, it resulted in sex, which is usually what happens early on in a relationship. It, well, it can often happen. And as that relationship has progressed and as they've moved into a uh, different lifestyle, especially with children and, and, a, and a lot more work involved, uh, that action of the husband making physical contact with the woman has become associated with pressure, stress, expectation, when if they had just prioritized non-sexual intimacy, non-sexual touching, especially in that honeymoon period, she wouldn't respond like that. She wouldn't automatically think, oh, he's touching me, he wants sex again. She'd think, okay, he's touching me and that's a normal thing we do in a relationship because two people should be able to be intimate without being sexual. Mm -hmm. And then I thought about it even on a on a sort of societal level, okay? So... You and I, a couple of podcasts ago, uh, you were talking about your upbringing and, and how you, you went to a Catholic school and so you associated religion with uh, something very restrictive and controlling and it's well stressful. Mm -hmm. Now, I never had religion. In fact, my dad was quite a staunch atheist and ironically enough, he gave me Richard Dawkins when I was a teenager when a lot of <laughs> other teenagers were getting the Bible. How good. I went to a selective public school where a lot of the Christians were actually made fun of. And to be fair, they said wow. some ridiculous things, but it was just yeah. assumed the intellectual position was to be atheistic. And as I progressed through life, I, I actually I humbled a little bit on that. Well, uh, life, I suppose, humbled me. And then I started listening to other people on the internet and I could see, I guess, the excesses of the progressive left, particularly in the arts industry. And I actually felt very controlled and restricted by that sort of a culture a culture that professed to be in favor of people of color when what I was experiencing was complete and utter control, the inability to say what I wanted to say, to joke about what I wanted to joke about. I felt like I was being gaslit into thinking I wasn't a good comedian because I wasn't getting uh, the critical response I felt like I deserved when I could just 
objectively see I was getting I was I was garnering the most laughs out of anyone in a comedy night, but I wasn't getting chosen for certain you know uh, prestigious uh, groups or or positions, whatever it may be, right? And so I associated that culture with control in the same way I think you've associated religion broadly speaking I'm not I'm not trying to sort of yeah. unpack your life here but just the general premise there which is what a lot of people who went to religious schools particularly if you are from the uh, LGBT community that's how you would sort of experience yes. something like that whereas yeah. I just mm. came from an upbringing where I just thought oh my god anyone who in this day and age who still is a sort of fervent Christian is is stupid to the point where I started listening to figures like your Jordan Petersons and, and other right-wing commentators in America. And then these people were actually speaking to me in a way that made a lot of sense compared to what I was experiencing in the arts world in the mid-2010s, which was that control and illogical nature and inability to discuss things and, and not being open to other uh, points of contention and sort of excluding a lot of people and sort of saying one thing and, and having this mantra of inclusivity and 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 companionship mm. and compassion and helping uh underprivileged people yet i was experiencing and and seeing firsthand something completely different and then even that wasn't being validated or, or, or acknowledged and i remember in in 2018 i i just was at a really i yeah, I was at a sort of, I wouldn't say a completely low point, but I just wanted direction. I wanted i wanted something to inspire me. I needed sort of moral and almost philosophical nourishment. And I was friends with someone at the time who was, who was a very, uh, was a strong Christian. And they were running this um, 10-week course for people as a sort of introduction into the church or something like that. And I thought, well, look, I'll, I'll try this, sure. And I just distinctly remember completely changing my mind uh, because for so long I just assumed, all right, this is all about control and judgment and and being nasty and excluding people. And literally all they did for t 10 weeks was like offer me free food, listen to my concerns. I would say like, hey, if God is real, you know, I'd, I'd have legitimate criticisms and concerns and questions. I was never shamed for asking a question. I was never uh excluded and ostracized from the group because people were upset or offended that i was an atheist or that i was asking a question and yeah i didn't i didn't convert or anything at the end of those 10 weeks but the emotions i associate with something like that it's completely different it's just a total contradiction to the emotions i'd associate with uh the more uh progressive world and that that, that just could be a matter of chance and convenience that i've sort of grown up through this arts world which is definitely very far left on that cultural spectrum compared to the um average industry out there but uh anyway my point is um people can associate all sorts of emotions with uh a worldview with a person with an activity with a habit and then they're not in their rational brain when they think about that you know i immediately even in, i remember quite early on in our podcast we did a we did one about when woke people go too far. And, and that was the one podcast where I remember just speaking passionately for about an hour about my criticisms <laughs> of that worldview, because for so many years, I've just associated the emotion of uh, st stress and, and um, exclusion. Well, I've just said that experience mm. rather than that emotion with, with mm. that worldview to the point where I'm so far gone that I can't even think rationally about it. And I know people are always messaging me saying like, what, what's this? Someone said, uh, you speak about, you know, social justice as though, you know, you're a bit of divorced dad. <laughs> and I'm like, well, yeah, because that's how I, that's genuinely how I feel about it. Because uh, so in that, that experience I had in that sort of, you know, early 2010s to mid 2010s in the arts world was just... The, the, that's probably the best way I can experience it. Like I felt like yeah. I was being gaslit into thinking I'm... Uh, uh, like a, a racist, sexist person who's not funny at all, who can't make good content, mm. even though I'm seeing all these followers admire my, my videos, I'm seeing mm. all these people laugh at my jokes and, you know, I, I, I'm not in my right mind. I, I can't rationally ascertain what the good points of this certain worldview is compared mm. to this other worldview. It's just because, like I said, through pure chance, uh, these experiences I've had 
have uh, uh, forced me to associate certain emotions with certain ideas and certain emotions with other ideas. And it's just uh, what has happened. And, and I think this occurs in relationships a lot, as I just previously mentioned with the yeah. example of uh, the non-sexual uh, intimacy and touching. And, and mm-hmm. it can occur in our day-to-day lives. And I, I know I've rambled on for a little bit here, but I just, uh, I've been thinking about this a lot over the last week or two. And I can't help but feel in this sort of world where everyone's got a, now their own politics and their own idea about culture and okay what's actually going to be effective to getting people to yield to your ideas and, and to your worldview or at least be open to them is if they can associate as as cliche as this is going to sound if they associate that with a feeling of inclusivity and love and i'm not just talking about saying those words but actually uh creating a space for people to genuinely experience that and I, I don't see a lot of that i see a lot of shame and judgment and, and criticism on mm. all sides and uh in in relationships that's the biggest thing you know if you continually criticizing someone they're gonna associate a feeling of shame with whatever it is you're asking them to do and they'll do it but they'll do it resentfully and that's yes. not an effective yeah. long-term strategy and similarly with any habits you either want to uh, partake in or uh, uh, halt in, in, in your lifestyle. If you can associate a, a positive emotion with either of those, that's going to be far more beneficial to you than simply shaming yourself into either doing it or not doing it. But yeah. that was a lot. So let's hear no, your was, uh, response. Well said. <laughs> I, I totally agree with you. And it just kind of goes to show though that there's no way that it's humanly possible for someone to be completely neutral and understand someone else's point of view or experience and that every opinion that we form or every association we make comes from our own experience. Um, And so it's kind of like, you know, bringing into awareness that you claim, people claim to be like, I understand what you, what you're saying, but actually you're completely wrong. Um, is like, you know how we've talked about previously that when you try to debate someone on them being wrong, even if you provide them the evidence, they're still going to just actually double down on their viewpoint. And it happens all the time. Like you think you put, um, a vegan and someone that runs a slaughterhouse or a farmer in a room together, they would never, ever truly understand one another and i know that myself as a vegan will definitely feel like i'm in the right because well my family grew up on farms my family produce meat my family like do this and i was a meat eater and i went vegan and you've never been vegan so you can't comment but i can comment because i've been on both sides but even still uh, that's my own judgment and me putting my ethical or, or moral views forcing it onto someone else saying, this is what you should be doing because what you're currently doing is wrong. According to who? Me, like <laughs> not the world. Um, if it was wrong to the world, every single person would be vegan. Um, that's It's just my own personal view. So that's why I don't really harp on about it too much. We'll try to promote, <laughs> promote it excessively or try to get people onto the train because if they don't feel that way, then um, what what's the point? And I remember actually being... Well, I was vegetarian, but being vegetarian since I was 12 and hating vegans because my only experience of vegans were just dickheads that were just wouldn't shut up. And I couldn't I couldn't stand it. And I was like, I'll never, ever do it. And I didn't go vegan because of um, of, you know, well, eventually I did, but it wasn't because of the animal rights and the dairy industry or anything like that. It was because I worked with a girl who I really love. She was an amazing person and I was um, 17 or 18 and she was vegan and she just casually told me the reasons why. And I was like, fuck, that makes so much sense. A week later, I was vegan and now it's been almost um, like eight, nine, 10 years now that I've been vegan because that was just an exception. Same thing with like, you know, your, your religion. I have so many uh, associations to religion like part of me thinks you know my first boyfriend that I had from 14 to 19 his family was so involved in the church they all had their roles and I never associated with with, well they don't know about science because well his dad was literally like a neurosurgeon incredibly intelligent and incredibly 
religious and through that and you know I had to if I wanted to be accepted I had to go to church with them and through that kind of community what I really valued um, from the Catholic community was how much they value and nurture their families like I've never seen such a beautiful loving functional relationship between a man and a woman in their 40s that have been married for 20 years um, or 25 years and usually you see partners kind of sour out and they were still so in love like sweethearts and she was so nurturing to the families and I made such positive associations with religion only in that aspect only in the aspect of how they nurture family unless you're gay of course (laughs) Um, that's a different story but then I and I actually went on um, a world youth day trip to Madrid where there was, I can't remember even what the event's called, but basically millions of people from all around the world come and the Pope comes. And I went into this like amphitheater and there was five or 6,000 high school students and some very religious high up figure. I don't know who it was, but someone came and said, if you're gay, you need to stop being gay. You need to stop it right now. You need to try to turn it around. You need to do this. And I was just, seething with anger thinking of all these kids sitting in here feeling lesser than or feeling like they're fucked up or made huge mistakes like I was I've never felt such true anger and that and coming back into my school that was you know my high school I was in year 10 when I went that was so hyper religious etc as well that I hated it. I hated anything to do with Catholicism. When I started dating people, as soon as they told me they were Catholic, nah, we're incompatible. Especially because I actually got judged a lot by my boyfriend's family when I had talked about studying sexology. Um, or one time they found condoms in his bag and it was like an, a literal crisis. Um, the most severe thing that had ever happened to us, even though we'd been together for five years. So just like, so many associations that we make, like you said, to either a person or experience. Um, and people don't recognize that. I think this kind of comes down to the importance of needing to develop self-awareness so that you realize why we make certain judgments on people and where does that stem from? Like, you know, I've, I said heaps on this podcast that I used to associate guys like gym bros or guys that go to the gym heaps as fuck boys. And then I'm thinking, oh, well, I'm aware because, you know, I recognize that I'm initially turned off by guys that go to the gym every day and a buff because I associate them with um, fuck boys because they're attractive and more women will be um, going after them. But really, we have to think, what is what is the beneath that? What does that come from? Where does that stem from? What is the core of that? And it wasn't until I actually was kind of doing like, really, really significant <laughs> deep diving to realize why why did I have this irrelevant judgment that's not true? Because my current partner is a gym goer and he's quite like fit and muscly or whatever. Um, and I don't, I've never thought that about him. And I realized it came from when I was like 18 years old or 17 years old. Um, and I worked at Westfield and Concierge and one of the security guards there, he was so buff. He used to flirt with me all the time and he'd be like, you'd be so fucking sexy if you were just skinny. And I was just so mad at this person for making me feel inadequate because he was fit and I'm not. And I didn't realize that I'd carried this judgment for what when I was 18 and I'm now 28 this year, 10 years of judging fit people because of one experience or probably a couple of experiences actually throughout my teenage years of well that came from fit men making comments on like my body or whatever and I just automatically said oh no it's because they're fuck boys so I think that it's so important that anytime you find yourself judging someone especially because we often perceive very random and particular behaviors as that means he's going to be a cheat or he's going to cheat on me because he has Snapchat and no 27 year old man or 29 year old man should have a Snapchat account. Like why do we associate these thoughts or opinions or judgments for just, it doesn't just come out of nowhere and we're going to go deeper. Like I always ask myself, what's beneath that? Yeah, he's a fuck boy. What's beneath that? Well, someone did this. Well, what's beneath that? Like, I don't want to feel inadequate or I don't want to feel judged. So like really going 
deep is the best way that you can make yourself become a more neutral and less judgmental person. And the last thing I'll say on that note is that someone once told me, and I found this to be really um, fundamental for me and my, especially in my studies and in my industry was that if you grew up in the, and had the exact same experiences as the person in front of you that you have issues with, if you grew up and grew there and had their life, you would have the exact same views as them and the exact same morals and the exact same perceptions. So that's, you know, I think what's a really important part. Yeah, that's exactly Are you still there? Because your, your camera turned off, so I, I can't oh, see it? you. <laughs> oh, can you hear yeah. me? <laughs> I can hear you. Okay, well, you've that's got, all that. It says you've got poor internet quality issues. Ah, uh, yeah. Thanks, uh, thanks, NBN. Good stuff. <laughs> but uh, no, it is recording. Um Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. Should have uh, brought out Shorty in that rant. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about that. I gotta I'll I'll get her at the end. Um I can't see you anyway, so <laughs> I think it'll come back up eventually. Uh you know Probably. I think what's I guess if we look at the last couple of generations, uh there's a lot has changed. What I think would have been so exciting and titillating about the free love movement in the 60s was that for so long they associated feelings of control and uh, restriction with something like sex and very sort of strict, Mm. dogmatic Christian moral. So then to be able to experience love and, and all these feelings these natural feelings that were looked down upon and shamed for so long it was probably a very Mm. awakening and nourishing and inspiring experience and well as a result they may have come to the conclusion that all right certain things are i guess appropriate and should be not looked down upon and not shamed but what we see today is we now see the excesses of that culture where a lot of people are associating modern dating with stress and isolation and shame and no one seems to be getting what they actually want out of it nor are they having their basic needs met uh a podcast i was listening to a while ago made a, a really uh important point that someone who might be an incel or a man who's had a lot of failures with women if you will He's associated women with pain and rejection and and feeling dejected and feeling isolated. And, well, then it makes perfect sense that he would think the way he has, that he does. Because his only experiences with women have been hurtful and shameful and punitive. Then, well, how can you expect someone like that to be a fully-fledged feminist who supports uh, (laughs) the... uh, you know, emancipation of women in every societal regard there. And and, and similarly, I suppose, with a lot of women who might have experienced pain and, and, and rejection with men. Well, you can rationally say, hey, look, it's, it's not all men or like, look, here's, here's the way that your behaviors are actually making it harder for you to find what you're looking for. That's That's not going to get through to anyone like that who's who's just had a repetitive experience of negative emotion that they've associated with a group of people and you can't unpack it takes a very long time it takes years of experiencing the other emotion regardless of what you might how you can rationally convince someone it takes a very long time of someone actually associating that uh, habit or that group of people with a positive emotion for yeah. them to finally unlearn certain natural and unconscious behaviors that they may associate with whatever it may That's be, a, a really an entire worldview. Yeah. I mean, you look at yeah. men today, I've done a few videos on this recently, and men um, are, uh, they, the mental health issues men are facing are extraordinary. Uh, there's a lot of men who are facing a lot more sort of rejection and, and shame and isolation, and, and then they turn on, they look at social media, especially something like TikTok now, and there's even more shame that comes with uh, hearing about how 
you know, you get praised for doing the bare minimum and how you're trash and whatever it may be. And what you're creating here is a is a is millions of people who are associating modern philosophy, modern secular progressive philosophy with dejection and pain and suffering and shame. And they're never going to be on board with that, even if you can rationally mm -hmm. say, hey, look, this is why this is actually good for you in the long run. No, okay, that's not how humans operate. It's going to be an immediate knee-jerk reaction. And, 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 and you can see that. With I, I remember asking one of those anonymous questions like, hey, what do you think is going to happen with this Russia-Ukraine situation? And a couple of men actually sent in saying like, hey, well, we're going to go to World War Three, and, and the feminists are going to have to, you know, think yeah. about their opinions then i'm just like bro you really want to go to war to own the feminists like, is that you're yeah. seriously committed to owning the feminists to the point where you're willing to go to war i mean yeah. but at the same time like hey the idea of war for a lot of men who maybe feel left out by society is hey i get a purpose i get to fight for a righteous cause i get to be a hero i get to be respected i get to be admired and really i think we need to delve deeper into are these just brutish men who want to tear down society and be violent. No, these are men who feel so left out by modern society that they're willing to risk their life in order to find some form of purpose. And I think that's a huge condemnation on on society at large. And, and I'm not trying to say this is only men who are experiencing something like this, by all means, not at all. Mm. But the emotions they associate with something as destructive and pernicious as war is heroism respect, purpose, mm. and we need to find other ways for these guys to, to experience those, uh, those feelings without mm. them thinking war and conflict is the only way for them to have something like that. So yeah. I just found that very interesting. So true. Actually, really, uh, this is an unrelated, kind of related side note, but... You know how we were talking about, um, yeah, just like, I guess just the difference in genders. And I'm always kind of sometimes, well, not always kind of, I frequently advocate for women need to have the same this, that, whatever as men, which they do, you know, same opportunity, same growth. Uh, but what was really interesting is it, I'm playing this game, Ark. I'm going to stop talking about it after this podcast, I promise. Um, I'm obsessed. And I got Adrian to start playing with me and it's so funny because in this game it's like basically it's a survival game where you have to build a house you build weapons blah blah, blah and you go and hunt dinosaurs and i find the most fulfillment and enjoyment <laughs> from collecting the berries cooking the recipes tending the gardens and looking after the baby dinosaurs whereas adrian only in this game likes to go out and fucking kill shit and he dies 50 times in a row and it's so annoying but it's just so funny how we find completely different like almost the feminine and masculine enjoyment of even a video game <laughs> like i just want to stay by the house and look after everything and he's like fuck this i'm bored and he goes out and kills himself accidentally um trying to kill a t-rex <laughs> but i don't know i just thought oh my god isn't that so funny that we actually associated gender roles in a video game even. Um, but yeah, I think it's a really good point. When you're talking about the incels, it kind of makes me think that when, especially when you're saying that it, it can take so many positive experiences or just other experiences, it's very hard to shift someone's view once they've made up it. And so someone like an incel could make up that um, association with women after one uh, experience but even after they have multiple like it's unlikely that every single woman and woman that you talk to or experience in your life treats you like shit um, but it's funny when we have you know confirmation bias and our perception or our views that we kind of have a tunnel vision on these things and we actually choose to ignore um you know the the good parts that we can see and it's funny because i've spoken to people that you know claim to be in cells and people that have um you know, spoken to me for hours about this or even friends that i have that are guys that are like this and they talk so much like no woman is trustworthy no, 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 no. and i was like what about me like <laughs> what do you think of me then mm. um and they're like well it's different like blah blah, blah. and i'm like well, you like trust me don't you and they're like yeah, yeah yeah you're my good friend but i just think well 
doesn't that show you? And they're like, oh, it's different. You're one person. But I saw this um, girl the other day make a video on um, TikTok and she had posted like 10 different Tinder conversations. And basically all of them were the nature where like, for example, one guy said, hey, you matched with me on accident. And she said, no, I didn't. Um, you look cute or something. And he's like, no, it must have been an accident. I'm five foot seven. And she said, that's fine. Like, I'm still down to meet you. And he said, no, you're clearly not. You know, definitely you wouldn't even be into me. What's the fucking point? And then she sent all these screenshots of basically the same conversation in different essence happening where these guys were rejecting her and and punishing her for the fact that she's a woman, even though in every single conversation she was like, yeah, I meant to match you. And yeah, I'm interested in you. No, I do think you're handsome and not ugly. Like, it's just so much of our view is so hard to change it once we have that confirmation bias. And I think from, sorry, you go. I was just going to say, is she was she actually matching them though? Or was, she, was this for an experiment? She was. Oh, okay. No, she was genuine, <laughs> like 100% genuine, okay. um, which was kind of like sad. And she was saying like, this is so frustrating. Like I literally date any of these guys before they fucking started sabotaging it themselves. And then what ends up happening was she didn't screenshot this, like this wasn't included in the conversation, but what would happen is she's like, "This is you're being ridiculous. And then he's like, ah, I knew it. <laughs> Women, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, and we all do it for mm. one topic or we another. All we mm. all do it about something. Um, and it's really, really hard to um, avoid. And there's kind of an interesting concept of, trauma gives you like the inverse of that whereas you subconsciously seek out that behavior continuously over and over again and i listened to this podcast the other day and it's called um fuck what's it called it's called this is actually happening and basically it's just a podcast where one person a new person every single day will just spend 40 minutes telling their story of something wild or crazy that has happened to them and there's one episode and it's called what if you were actually addicted to each other and so I listened to it and it's this woman who was brought up in a a DV home where her parents were physically abusive to one another and I, I think from memory to the kids as well and then this woman goes from DV relationship to DV relationship, to DV relationship, to DV relationship, where she's abused in every single relationship with every single man, except one in the middle who she ended up like leaving because, well, it was boring or something. But really interesting how when you have trauma associated with it, you don't have that adverse effect where you're like every single, you know, abuser, which I guess could be true, is a terrible person. In fact, you're subconsciously seeking that out in every relationship, trying yeah. to either one, subconsciously heal it, or two, it's what you're familiar with, blah, 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 blah. Really interesting. Yeah, it's so interesting that as humans, we will adopt an entire reality, a way of seeing the world that yeah. maintains our ego and, and, yeah. and prevents <laughs> yeah. us from taking accountability and i'm not saying i'm above this i do this all the time but uh look to be fair these guys who were being uh exposed on on tiktok they must have gone through a lot of pain to think that way i uh, you don't immediately discard uh, a, an attractive woman who's matched you simply because you're five foot seven unless that's happened to you a lot and yeah. you know when we're teenagers and when we're sort of forming our ideas about the opposite sex and starting to date and and go to parties that's probably when a lot of the damage is done i can't help but feel Mm. then by the time Mm. you're 21 22 you may have been having had those experiences for some look from when you're 12 that's when people look even younger than that people start having crushes on each other and you can you can experience a rejection in primary school because your crush didn't like you back and that can be actually quite a painful experience and let's say you have that occur almost twice a year over the course of 10 years and this is something that you put so much self-worth into and you really start to question am i am i worthy am i disgusting am i ugly am i horrendous but by the time you're 22 which you're still very young at that age you've had 10 years nearly half of your life has uh 
been uh, formed through painful experiences with the opposite sex. Well, then, of course, you're going to either think, well, the opposite sex is the problem and there's a culture or a, or a, or a sort of societal ethos that permeates throughout the behaviors of and the choices of the opposite sex that is causing this pain. Or I really am what these people have said, which is inferior and not good enough. Now, what are you going to be inclined to choose? Subconsciously, you're going to be inclined to choose the one that maintains some form of self-esteem and and yeah. whether you want to call it ego or conf- basic confidence here, I, I think. So yeah. no one, no one, no so one rationally uh, comes up with their worldview. It's, it's a product it. of your environment yeah. and it's a product of the emotions that have occurred mm-hmm. throughout your environment. And, and this is why a lot your of people say culture is cyclical, mm-hmm. particularly in the West, because you, uh, everything's reactionary. The, the, I guess the free love era might've been a reaction to the, uh, strict sexual norms before the 60s and then now we're almost coming into an era where where we may see a reaction to that to the sort of sexual liberalism that has caused a lot of distress and pain among a lot of people and i wonder if uh look there's there's studies that are showing um a lot of I guess career women who 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 don't have families uh, actually regret it later on in life, and if they start associating that emotion with something like feminism, maybe they'll ironically join the incels one day and say, "Yeah, look, that gave me nothing but pain and, and isolation, and and I felt like I was lied to." That's how I feel with a lot of the the progressive ideas, it's because again, these these were so impactful to me at such a young age and I just automatically went for an, an, a worldview that said, hey, you know, you're, you're hard done by because you're brown and, and you know, we, you live in a, in a racist society and so things are going to be harder for you. But that gave me a narrative to say, hey, what I've achieved is a bigger achievement than a white person because I've had to face all this adversity. But mm-hmm. no, I, I, after just a lot of, uh, I won't say painful but stressful you know what no painful experiences i just started to um, associate that worldview with uh very negative emotions and then you do uh you do partake in a lot of confirmation bias then you tend to see the extremes of either end and i, I maybe exactly have a bit of confirmation or a self-fulfilling bias prophecy the, and that's I exactly think. and and the, yeah. the concept of self-fulfilling yeah. prophecy ever since i learned about that a couple of years ago this is so prevalent yes. to the point where i now uh have a lot of uh admiration for this the placebo effect because that is yeah. essentially interlinked with a self-fulfilling prophecy if you believe if you have faith ironically enough i think the concept of faith is extremely powerful and, and actually can be rationally justified why it's powerful and effective because of the psychological uh, phenomenon of a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you have faith in the uh, the honesty and the loyalty of your partner, well, you will behave in a way that manifests yes. that. And similarly, yes. if you have faith <laughs> in the goodness of uh, your average human, you will behave in a way that. And now, if now yeah. if that happens for twenty-five million people who live in the country of Australia who have faith in the direction of this country and the government and the politicians, well, they will act in a way that manifests that to occur in little things like, hey, I'm not going to try to uh, minimize my tax to a pedantic degree. I just have faith in the public institutions and I do trust the bureaucracy to, to a certain degree. I'm not, let's not try to claim that it's perfect here. And as a result, hey, look, every, and, and then, you know, when you, uh, extrapolate that out and, and look at that on with economies of scale. You have 25 million people having a bit more faith in public institutions, not trying yeah. to minimize their tax to a ridiculous degree. We're talking about billions of extra dollars here. And then yeah. they can actually achieve the things they've said they're going to do. So mm-hmm. it all comes down to trust and, and, and more significantly than that, faith. I'm not just talking about religious faith here. I'm talking about well, if that's you, if yeah, if you want a positive, 
experience. I think it's so, this is, it's literally like the basic, like concept of manifestation. It's not a spiritual thing. It's literally, what do you believe? Um, I've always said my whole life, or I always attract guys that are so loyal and so loving and blah, blah, blah. And you know what? I always have. And my friend says she hates men and every single guy she dates, she finds flaws in them. And I'll be like, I thought he was great. Nope, he wasn't good enough. He did this. He said, and then she also says, I have only, I could only like every single guy is a cheater. I've only ever dated cheaters. Uh, everyone cheats. There's no such thing as a loyal man or whatever. But yeah, and then but then she'll be behaving in a way. That, he's gonna, yeah, you know, she's subconsciously proving her ego right and seeking out men that are gonna cheat on her. Um, and that is the, you know, so that's what a self fulfilling prophecy is. So we have to be so careful of our language. And sometimes when I work with kids, which I do for a living and families, I actually am uh, hesitant at time and in some cases to educate them about what trauma is. I like to educate them on strategies to manage and how to stay in like their window of tolerance, how to regulate. But I don't want to ha- give them that view at eight years old or 10 years old saying, hey, because this happened to you as a kid, you know, you're much more likely to drop out of school. You're much more likely to do drugs. You're much more likely to do this and this and life's going to be harder for you because when they form that view and understanding from someone they trust like me, that they're going to act that out for the rest of their life. Um, and it's really interesting how it's become very trendy to unpack, you know, your childhood trauma. And it's just been this whole <laughs> thing. what we do. <laughs> Every single person has had childhood trauma. Yeah. And what's really interesting is that studies show that on average, there's obviously outliers of people that have experienced really, really severe abuse and trauma. Um, and those are the kids that I work with, but there's no denying. But aside from those outliers, Every single other person on average has experienced the same amount of um, adverse childhood experiences is what they call them. But some choose to have a positive spin on it. Like I always say, oh, my childhood was great, whatever. And some think, well, I this happened to me as a kid and my dog died and my parents never let me buy toys and blah, blah, blah. And then as an adult now, they're trying to unpack it and they're like, this is why I'm like this. This is why I struggle with this. This is why this, but actually that's just a normal childhood experience. So it is like this fine line of how deep do you go within yourself to explore what has occurred to you, but what are you risking at by doing so? Uh, Anyway, let's. Yeah, there's a, a there's there is a very no no you're absolutely right. There's a fine line there that you should be aware of certain emotional associations that you've maybe developed in in your adolescence. But mm. if it starts to become an excuse for objectively poor behavior in your adult life, I think that's where that line needs to be drawn. And excuse is also a very strong word. If it starts to be a, a preventative mechanism for you to try and in, yeah. in, in, improve on some of those negative behaviors you may have developed from circumstances that were out of your control. That That's probably where I'd draw the line. Uh, mm. But I, I think coming back to, let's use the veganism thing as an example here. So when people think of just the word vegan, what comes to most of people's minds? Oh, it's that sort of reaction, isn't it? It's oh, yeah, shut up. Like that's that's the, the reaction that yeah. you get yeah. because yeah because people have for whatever reason experienced uh, 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 certain emotions when when someone has either said they're a vegan or or been around other people who who may have a vegan diet and that, those emotions sound to be sh- sound like their shame and judgment and as a result. Yeah there is this sort of anti-puritanical response of fuck off like yeah yeah all right go eat your kale or whatever it may be now if we're just looking at this from a pragmatic point of view to try and get as many people to become vegans as possible i'm not saying this is something i want to do uh but i'm just saying let's hypothetically think this way right the best strategy you can actually employ is is to first of all (laughs) yeah eradicate that association and then the best way to do that is is live out that ethos or that worldview 
in a way that uh, compels other people to feel positive experiences when they're around you. Now, as we've as we've discussed, I think on a couple of podcasts ago, it's very difficult to do because entrenched in just the phrase "I am a vegan" is a form of moral judgment, and you can't help that. It's essentially saying, "Hey." Yeah, everyone knows I'm doing this because I don't want animals to suffer. So by extension, I am judging you for yeah. making animals. So it's impossible to actually yeah. disassociate the 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 degree of a, a, a degree of judgment there. But it's very interesting to think about ideas and principles and 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 worldviews or, or or just uh, behaviors and think about them from the perspective of. Look, I'm not even trying to convince this uh, other people this is the right way to live or this is the appropriate thing to do. I want these people to associate that behavior or those ideas or that worldview or this group of people with positive emotions. Now, whether those emotions are joy, accomplishment, uh, respect, wh- whatever it may be, the point is you w- you want them to be positive. And so true. whether this yeah. is... Look, if you're a, if you're a uh, if okay, so let's let's take another example. When people when I hear the word communist, I also have that sort of response that a lot of people ha- would have for vegan. I just oh, like shut up. <laughs> I haven't even heard what this person has to say, but that's just how yeah. I think because I've had an array of experiences in my formative years where I've associated that emotion with people who would um, try and promulgate those ideas. So I'm not thinking rationally. They're probably not thinking rationally either. But their <laughs> yeah. best. Uh, but and then what usually happens is a uh, uh, the defense mechanism kicks in, and they've also associated certain emotions with people who have that automatic influence. So there's this whole this just ego defense mechanisms constantly competing with each other. When yeah. the right the the whether it's the right thing to do, the most effective thing to do is to be aware of how you may be uh, reacting in a defensive manner and think, all right, all I can do in this situation, I'm never going to change someone's entire worldview through one conversation, but if I can associate a certain emotion with what I'm talking about or what I'm doing, that's all I need to do, okay? And, Mm. you know, you think about something like comedy, which is obviously my main... uh, my main my main thing it's really powerful because you can associate laughter and joy with certain stereotypes or archetypes here and so i I, i'm gonna sound woke here but look that's where there is a degree of power in that and the more Mm. um popular you are as a comedian the more power you have to either mock certain ideas or and and by extension uh uh, proliferate certain other ideas. So if you're mm. taking a certain stereotype and con- continuously denigrating it through mockery and satire and parody and whatever it may be, well, you're associating laughter with the excesses of that particular stereotype, whatever it, whatever it may be, right? And that can actually be a very powerful tool. And Yeah, yeah. It is. It's yeah. it's ironic, isn't it? That's where the whole the court jester from, you know, back in the monarch in in a monarchy there was a court jester who was actually able to criticize the the royal family or the king because it was so subversive and they were uh, creating a, an atmosphere of joy and 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 laughter. Yeah. And so no one made the link that this is this is a critique. This is a criticism. Yeah. Ah, this is just people having fun. Yeah. And yeah. it's made me rethink all sorts of things. Like I used to just cringe when certain workplaces would always have their after work drinks or, you know, some workplaces like every night, oh, drinks, after work drinks. Let's have a fun activity this weekend. And I just thought this is childish, right? You're here to work. You're here to be professional. But no, what you're doing is you're associating positive emotions with that workplace with that work environment and it's making me think a lot about now i'm working in 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 a lot more of a collaborative environment i've got a bit of a team around me and how can i foster positive emotions rather than simply saying to people hey this is what you need to do for us to to be successful for us to grow this business well that's creating pressure 
and that's immediately yeah. got the, the the cortisol would probably rise almost if i can s- somehow create a, a a very sort of joyful atmosphere whilst also instilling certain behaviors and, and ideas and practices well then you're on the money then then the world is your oyster and that's where very charismatic leaders are able to distill whatever political ideas they may have and associate that with a, a, a feeling of accomplishment of pride of heroism and mm. that's that's just that's charisma that's that's power that's influence yeah. anyway rambling again yeah. there but i find this i find this very interesting yeah. yeah it's a lot of things that people just don't often reflect on like the power of humor and and processing world events or emotions and things like that in a way that is enjoyable and not like a traumatizing thing to go let's talk about war or things like that there's such a significant um well just significance to that and yeah i i definitely agree about the work culture it's really interesting i've been like interviewing a lot of people um recently for a couple of roles and the questions that they ask when i say is there anything you want to answer it's never ever how many clients how late do i work never it's always what's the work culture like it's the question that i can guarantee every single person will ask me so it's really interesting that you know now that you're also there as an agency expected or an organization to uphold a standard of a positive work culture um which means more than just you know not overworking people it means people are genuinely enjoying their job connecting with others it's super interesting how people are now like entitled to that and we had to do like this engagement survey in our organization from hr where basically people anonymously put their views into how they experience workplace and then if people weren't saying that they're loving the job or loving the their peers yeah, they had to, HR have to action it and make all these strategies as how they can make 100% of employees in love with their work environment. It's an interesting um, thing, but I guess there's a lot of studies that show the more positive your work environment is, the more you enjoy it, the better, the the higher the level of engagement, satisfaction, and also work is completed. So win-wins to all but yeah very good um a reflection of yours i think yeah. definitely put <laughs> makes, thoughts uh, into my head that i hadn't thought about in a long time especially no, about makes, humor yeah makes perfect sense and uh coming back to what this podcast is focused on relationships if you are trying to change a behavioral pattern in a partner or if a certain uh regular occurrence is making you feel uneasy the worst thing you can do is make them feel shame about that now there's always going to be an element of that if you're saying hey there's certain thing you're doing i don't i don't particularly like but you have to navigate a very fine tightrope if anything because well if you're too strict and if you're too uh if you come across come across as a disciplinarian of sorts then well, the partner's going to think I'm being controlled. And no, that's not tenable then. The relationship will not exist unless there's actually no uh, ability for them to alleviate that or, or move away from that. And then we're getting to abusive territory there. But somehow, it's probably very difficult to do, but you need to be able to associate whatever it is that you're hoping your partner to, to either change or, or partake in with some sort of positive emotion and that's going to be a lot more powerful than even than just criticizing them and, and blaming them and, and nagging them which is as yeah. i'm sure you you would know that's that's the biggest one of if not the biggest issue in in romantic relationships people feel like feeling like they're being unfairly criticized blamed shamed into doing something uh and it makes perfect sense no one wants to do something if they feel an immense amount of pressure and shame for not doing it what you should be trying Mm -hmm. to generate is joy and accomplishment for doing it that's far more powerful yeah yeah it's a really common toxic cycle that people get into when you want to change something about your partner you're less likely to actually just communicate to them what it is that you know you're wanting or how you're feeling and you're more likely to instead 
um, kind of be passive aggressive or make comments on them so that you think by doing so subconsciously, they will amend that action without you actually having to be vulnerable and share. It makes me insecure when you do this or I get scared of or worried about this and I want reassurance, but instead I'll be saying, oh, you're going out on a Saturday night? You're just leaving me? Oh, okay, have fun. And then ignore him all day. Like it's so toxic that people do that rather than just avoiding anything that might hurt their ego a little bit to just be vulnerable and genuinely share what their thoughts are. Um, if people treated relationships as a little bit more gentle and, and tender for that person that they're in a relationship with rather than their own internal expectations, relationships would be a thousand times more successful than what they are. I mean, well, that's one of a thousand different factors, I think, but oh, an important one. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I think that's a great time to conclude this one. I really enjoyed yeah. that one. I spoke a lot. So uh, if you didn't like me rambling on there, apologies, but that's what you get. Get over uh, it. <laughs> yeah, com slash podcast. If you'd like to send in a topic, a question, or a shout out, come see my comedy and improv show live pretty much all across the East Coast now. And we're going we're gonna to hit Queensland soon. But well, look, we've got Melbourne, we've got Sydney, we've got Western Sydney, and we've got Newcastle and... CrushOrganics.com, crush with a K. Use the code Neil for 40% off. Yeah. All right. Have a good week, guys. Thanks for listening. See you next week. <laughs>